So, what is up, guys? This is another episode of the P2 Podcast, and today I have Chris Chan with me. So, I'm going to pass the baton to Chris, let him make the longer intro, and then we'll go ahead and get started on this topic of conversation today. Raymond, what's up, man? Thank you for having me. Of course. Yeah, so tell us. So, yeah, so... Talk about, yeah, talk about your education. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, talk about, like, what you do. And You're good. If you want to, you can even talk about, like, your, your thesis that we were just talking about, your master's thesis, so, because that is going to lead into the conference. Yeah, perfect. So my name's Chris, everybody. Um, I have been a strength and conditioning coach for almost 10 years now. Um, I have my master's in kinesiology with an emphasis in exercise physiology. Uh, I also obtained my CSCS, so that's pretty cool. Um, little accomplishments about myself. <laughs> yeah, so kind of like what Bryce and I were talking about earlier is we were kind of like going over topics, differences between male versus female training. And I brought up how in my master's program, my thesis defense was I did a systematic review on the neuromuscular benefits of biometric training and uh, basically 12 to 14 year old girls. The reason why I wanted to look into that was because there's a lot of like college athletes, especially right now, like if we look at TCU's basketball team, majority of them have like knee injuries. How can we combat that? And, and there's no real way of how we can predict knee injury specifically and like a direct correlation. But there have been some speculation with certain studies that I've seen. We're looking at the core musculature by having like, say, like a weaker left side or a weaker right side, depending on which side it is, that could also, that can, that can determine um, whether you have knee pain on your right side or your left side and how it can eventually lead into an injury yeah yeah so like that definitely leads into like pretty well just the idea of i guess the broader idea the broader topic of yeah. talking about like how women should be training if they should be training differently because that's something that i deal with quite frequently in my everyday work is i work with a lot of clients i work with a lot of women who are higher level athletes and there is always, there's always conceptions. Sometimes they're misconceptions, but conceptions in general around the idea of female versus male training. And sometimes you'll hear like, you know, there is no difference. You don't have to train any differently. You can just do the same shit. Sometimes you see and hear like completely off the wall, outlandish differences. And, um, you know, just like these idiosyncratic programs that are defined to women or men and sometimes like that really just like blows my mind the fact that like people think that humans are that different no matter if they're like male or female but you know anyway yeah. it, this is a conversation that i think both of us can probably add quite a bit of context to and there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of context that needs to be added yeah. but like just in general you ran this um well i guess you did a, a systematic review but you did your thesis paper and is there in your opinion a large difference in how women need to be trained versus how men need to be trained not at all i don't think there's no real difference in how they should train especially because if like we understand how humans work we all work the same obviously there's a difference between like pelvic structure and hip structure where women have a higher or greater q angle compared to men but that's just like a biomechanical thing where that we can easily adjust you want to define what q angle is just for anybody who might not know yeah, so think of it as basically where your femur, um, basically where the top of your hip bone all the way down to your knee, it basically it's, uh, creates a greater angle inward compared to compared to men. That's the easiest way I can describe it. Okay, in layman's term. <laughs> and how would how would having a wider Q angle affect like biomechanics in women? Yeah, so based off uh, research that I've read, is the wider the q angle is the greater chance of knee injuries okay. um it's due to the fact that like there's more knee valgus going on and knee valgus is basically when your knees cape inward and so that's where it's like hey trying to see like how like people move so I, that's where i like to do a lot of like assessments when it comes to gait so once seeing how people walk how people run because since i train a lot of athletes that's something i need to do anyways and if someone comes to me and they say, hey, I have knee pain when I run. So that's where I like to do like a lot of slow-mo motions of how they run. Yeah. Basically looking at their kinematic sequence when they're running, seeing if like how their foot strike is. And if their knee turns inward, then they're most definitely going to have what's called pronation of the foot. And so pronation of the foot is basically when your foot is planted down and it rotates inward this way compared to supination where your foot turns this way. Yeah, and so, so that's where something I'm like to watching the the best way I can think of pronation is like your arch collapses. 
right? Yes. Yeah. So that's the best way I, I try and think of pronation of, of the angle or foot. Mm-hmm. Anyway, continue. Sorry, did not mean to interrupt you. No, you're no, you're good. And so that's where I like to look at how they run, how they walk, how they squat, how they perform a lunge. And so by going through those motions, I can cr- develop a plan of like, okay, this is how we're going to help with reducing that knee pain or say if they do have any pain. And a good subtopic on top of that, we can go into the difference between pain versus injuries and how pain is basically like a neural pathway into, we'll, we'll get into that later. <laughs> yeah. No. And uh, it, well, so just expanding off of what you're talking about there. So it's interesting that in, in your, in your subsect of how you work with, with your training clients, because you work with a lot of in-person clients at this point mm-hmm. and that, that affords you opportunities that like for me where i work mostly online i don't have the ability to do these like movement assessments with my clients on a weekly basis right so yeah i have to work off of generalities much more than i may work off of like the specifics of like in of one client where i can see them move i can see them perform an exercise i can see what their body is doing and i can also get that immediate feedback from them telling me how it feels and how they're experiencing it too where because there is this like latency effect in me getting the feedback from all of my clients, I, I have to be pretty conservative with, with what I do. And I also have to kind of, I have to work off of broader principles, right? So it's like, okay, like how am I yeah. thinking of this? How am I thinking of this, this demographic of client? And I kind of just move things along in that manner and like make almost retroactive corrections to the programming or to the, the coaching as we go based on that ongoing feedback. But um, I I guess I can actually expand or I guess have you expand on the question I asked about, you know, male versus female training and ask you, would you say that there is a difference if I were to say that like building a program for a male versus female, like bodybuilding athlete versus a male versus female, like just general sport performance um, athlete, I guess. Yeah. An athlete that is aiming for improved general sports performance versus something more of a physique athlete. That's the best way of describing that. Jesus. I would say definitely in that regard and for that specific context, I would definitely program differently. Um, especially because like, if we have to look at, if we're looking at a specifically for a bodybuilding client based off how judges want right now, like in that BC and IFBB, like females don't really necessarily need to train chest. So I like, think that that's like a, that's a no brainer right there. Um, obviously a guy needs a chest and you need, they want to see the fullness in like all facets, like from like, especially from sitting like front pose, side pose, et cetera. Especially if you're like a men's physique athlete, you're not really, you don't necessarily need to train your glutes or you need to train your, like your legs in general, because you're not judged on your density of your legs or any sort of like musculature of your legs. So I would say in that regard, you don't necessarily need to, or you're, there's definitely like a difference. But when it regards to like general or sport performance, there's no difference because like you're wanting to depend on the sport itself. Well, every sport needs needs to improve rate of force production, reducing ground contact time, just developing speed, developing their conditioning, and that just like within nuances of each sport needs to have a little bit of difference, especially when it comes to conditioning. Like are we trying to improve like the aerobic capacity, like say for like an MMA fighter or say a an endurance athlete to be very different compared to that versus like say a football player. Like I train a lot of guys in like a, that would consider it more like a recreational football league. Like it's legit, like contact football league. It's crazy. So I train six guys right now that are on that specific football team. And their conditioning is very opposite compared to my endurance athletes. Yeah. An average football play is only like four to five seconds. So we're only going all out for four to five seconds compared to my endurance athletes. We're doing, duration type of work where it's like doing like a work rest ratio of like say 30 seconds on and to like either 30 seconds off to a minute off and it's stuff like that just to kind of see like how we can buffer that lactate out yeah yeah so like what you're speaking to here is like what i think of as like like sports specific so like training for the specificity of the goal which is that that's something that like is always just this overhang no matter how your programming, no matter yeah. programming for whether it's like an athlete or whether it is like a soccer mom, like you're always having to take like what their goal is and program in a direction, or I guess 
program yeah. moves them in that direction towards that goal. Yeah. And sometimes like sports specificity can go too far, which actually brings me to a great point because this is something I feel like you and I have gone back and forth on, on IG a couple of times. And we, I've seen other strength and conditioning coaches who lean so far into hyper specificity that it becomes like a circus act. 100%. And that is, that's not training the principle of specificity, right? Because just because you take a heavy barbell and swing it in the motion of a baseball bat does not make you a better hitter, right? It doesn't make you exactly. It doesn't even make you more powerful as a hitter because those things aren't one-to-one correlated. And that's something I don't think a lot of people truly understand. Like just because you're doing a movement that looks or semi resembles a position or a movement pattern or, or something that you would experience in the sport that you're performing or you're meant to be performing or that you're training for doesn't actually mean that that is carrying over the way that it might seem to intuitively. So Joel Seedman is like the bane of my existence, right? I, yeah. so I think I follow this dude still because I like to like get pissed. I think it's, you're torturing yourself. I do think it is just <laughs> a little bit of masochism at this point that I still, that I follow this guy um, because he's the definition of someone who has taken misconceptions around specificity of sport or specificity of goal to the extreme. And he's been able, like he's a, he's a good marketer, right? Like he's a good marketer. It's very great at marketing. And I, I think that part of his, part of his greatness of marketing is the fact that like, he puts shit out there that like he knows is going to get a visceral reaction from other people in the industry that know that what he's peddling is mostly bullshit, right? Like he just, he puts out the shit that he knows is going to be more controversial and stir up more dissension among. Yeah. And what's, what's crazy. He was on a podcast where he literally said that. Really? Okay. So that's, that he told, yeah. He, so he told people like, yeah, this is like 95% of what I post. I don't even actually have people do. I just have them do it. Then I can, so I can just post it. Yeah, but at the like from coming from a strength and conditioning side, it's like, why would you want to put that out there? So like I get for engagement, I get it for like the viewership, but but it's also like at what cost? So that you look like an asshole. Well, so it, it it's what is rewarded, right? So yeah, that is a problem. God, I hate to be a fucking boomer about this. Like that is a problem with social media. That's a problem of yeah. the way that that we as coaches have to market and promote ourselves on platforms like social media is we understand like, Hey, if you just continue to pro like to, to post squats, bench, deadlift, walking lunges every single week, and you're adding, you know, five pounds or, or two reps to each one of those lifts, no one gives that fun. It, yeah. Well, yeah. no one cares, right? Like that's not, yeah. that's not going to get you any views, even though, you know, empirically you're making a lot of progress, right? Like you're making linear progress, which is insane once you've been doing this for long enough. But if you post like an up the ass shot of you doing RDLs, or if you post like, you know, you doing some circus movement with 18 bands draped all over you and like, you know, standing on like a vibration board or something like that, like all of a sudden people are interested because they're like, I've never seen that before. I wonder how I can incorporate that into my training as like this, this, mm-hmm. this cheat code that no one's ever told me, right? Like, because everyone is looking for an easy way out. And that exactly that opens the door for snake oil salesmen to be able to insert themselves and say, Hey guys, like I have the missing formula. Like I have what you've all been looking for. This is the cheat code. This is the hack to your training. That's going to you know, get you 10 X gains for, you know, minus 10 X the effort. Right. But people like that. I've talked about this quite a bit. They know how to play the game and they really do, but that that's what sucks. They know how to play the game, but they're using the platform or they're using their platform in a malicious way, in my opinion. Right. And like, again, you even mentioned he knows what he's doing and he's not even posting shit. That is like the programs he's having his athletes or his clients do, which in my mind that, that is like, that's pretty malicious, right? Like that's taking advantage of people. Oh yeah. But even, I don't even think it has to be malicious, right? Like it's just, even if you're uninformed, even if you're just yourself ignorant and you're putting yourself out there as an authority or an expert on something. For example, a girl who has a very good, a very nice body, a very developed body, 
she could go out and sell, you know, 10,000 glute programs, even though she doesn't know what the fuck she's talking about, which that's kind of a her problem, but it's also kind of an everyone else problem as well. Exactly. But, um, but yeah, it's just like, again, going, I guess the original topic here was like the hyper specificity, but then that got down a, a deeper rabbit hole. Yeah. But maybe just bringing this back to the hyper specificity in your opinion, um, you know, where, where do you think that that line kind of needs to be drawn between like, you want to train for your sport, but you don't want to train like for the movement itself or like the exact, yeah. you want to be able to like integrate that. Like, do you feel like there is a boundary that can be kind of established there? There's definitely a boundary that can be established. And sometimes I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes I get down those rabbit holes, like in programming too. Yeah. Where I'm just like, oh, this would be kind of cool. But I'm also like, okay, wait, wait, wait. Like I have to like revert back. Like as strength the conditioning coaches, that's literally what we're, our job is, is to help improve your strength and improve your conditioning. Outside of that, there should be coaches that are working on your actual sport. How you get to actually go to your sport is by playing that sport. And that's where I, like a lot of strength conditioning coaches think they can do it all. Especially like if they're a strength conditioning coach or quote unquote say they are, they usually are athletes of that sport. And so they think they can do it all. And then out of nowhere, they're just implementing some random shit that doesn't need to be there. Like I, I see it a lot and golfers too with their coaches because you just see the most random stuff i'm like why are we having doing like some random rotational stuff like with like a wrist like you don't you're literally doing internal and external rotation you don't need a lot more stuff out of that so it's like why are we having so much stuff so the line is drawn in my opinion when if someone if you're already questioning yourself like okay what do i have them do for this that's like don't even that's where you draw it Dude, I'll coaching perspective. Yeah, dude, I'll be honest. Like, what? Whenever we're talking about like sports specific training, I think what what kills me the most is whenever you have repetition athletes going in and yeah. training the same repetition pattern in a slightly different way in the gym, right? So you use the example of of a golfer, um, and the carryover into uh, a gym exercise would be something like. You know, swinging like a med ball that's attached to a rope, right? So, like, I don't know, I don't know if you guys have these, but at a private gym that I used to work at, we had these, these essentially like you know rubber med balls that were attached to ropes, and you could swing them and like hit the wall, right? And it would like reverberate, bounce back and forth, so you could work on like your rotational power. So, if you have a golfer who is a rotational athlete who is rotating hundreds of times every session, every time they go play golf. They probably don't need to do more rotation in that direction. No. Like you probably want to do more rotation in the opposite direction because a lot of exactly. what your job is as a strength and conditioning coach is to correct for imbalances that might actually be popping up from this in insane amount of repetition that they're doing in their sport. Same thing with a pitcher, right? If you have uh, a starting pitcher who is throwing a hundred times every single game and then, you know, warm ups, cool downs, practice. Like they're consistently just destroying their arm. You don't want them in the gym to be replicating that same fucking pattern. Like that doesn't make any sense. No. Like again, the job of the strength and condition coach in a lot of ways is to do the opposite of whatever that sport is, which is counterintuitive because it doesn't seem like it should make sense. It seems like you should strengthen the patterns that you're playing, but in a lot of ways you should be doing opposite because you have to find exactly balance to make sure that your athlete stays healthy over the long term. Exactly. And it's kind of like going off of that, like this is like a kind of an example is when I was at a strength conditioning facility, uh, we had golfers do Bulgarian split squats and a goblet position. I was like, why do we have it that way? Why don't we trade their grip strength? It's like, they're already gripping the fucking club hundreds of times. Like they don't need to work on grip strength because they're already gripping it so hard. And so like they, they'll naturally get fatigued. Like it just, a human thing to do. I was like, oh, perfect. Okay, good to know. It's like simple stuff like that. Yeah, and a, a good example of that too is like if you have a golfer, so just keeping it on the on the golf example. Yeah. Like you, you don't want to be training your forearms in a way that is going to exacerbate golfer's elbow. Exactly. But I mean like like you want to be you want to figure out what the the common injury points are for that sport. So golfer's elbow tennis elbow, rotator cuff injuries for pitchers, 
things like that. You want to jumpers, knees, stuff like that. Yeah. So you want to, you want to feed yeah, jumpers. Knee, exactly. And we can actually go back to that since that is the original point that we were starting with, but you, you want to make sure that you understand where these like common pitfalls of your athletes are, whether they're sport performance athletes or whether they're physique athletes, you want to figure out where they need help. And you want to be able to train that you want to be able to correct that. And a good, I guess a good corollary of this in my world, since I live more in like the, the physique athlete world rather than sports performance these days is I have a lot of clients who step on stage, bodybuilding athletes. If you're getting ready for a show, you're going through your posing routine hundreds of times in that prep. I have girls who mm. do their, their poses, their routine in heels multiple times per day. And any girl who is listening, who has competed in bikini knows that shit will destroy your body. Like contorting yourself in those positions is not healthy. It's not natural. It will wreck your low back. It will, it will tear up your hips. It will tear up your shoulders, your scabs, everything. It will make you feel like absolute dog shit. So what I have to do in a lot of, a lot of ways is kind of counterbalance what they're doing in their posing, which doesn't seem like an issue I should have to worry about, right? Like my job is supposed to be to get them like jacked and, you know, as conditioned as possible. But I do have to worry about that because it is an activity that they're doing for their sport that is causing potential issues that will later impact them. So maybe not one-to-one -one example with some of the other sports that, that are more, you know, repetition heavy, but just another example kind of a where the job of the coach job of the strength and conditioning coach is to not necessarily continue to like hammer on the same patterns that the athlete's going to encounter. But sometimes it's, it's taking a step back and analyzing what the fuck is happening from like a macro level and then figuring out like where they actually need the most work and where, you know, a little bit of work, a drop of work will fill the entire bucket versus overflow it. Exactly. And I think that's where like a lot of coaches just in general, because um, there's this thing of like doing assessments versus not doing assessments. Yeah. And it's like, I agree with either of or because I've done both uh, sides of the spectrum. But I think I like to be kind of like in the middle because I guess it really depends on what exactly the athlete I'm dealing with, whether it's a bodybuilding client, since I do train bodybuilding clients as well. Like with them, I'm just like, hey, like, do you have any issues? If like, do you have any issues like or any injuries? Like that's something to take consideration. Um, whether, and then it's also like, especially if they smell too, like, or if they vape, like that's another thing to take in consideration. Cause this, I had, I, this is a fun story. I trained a mental physique athlete who didn't tell me he was smoking. And we did like one small posing session together. And within three minutes, he was gas. I was like, well, how are you doing? You're doing, are you doing 30 minutes of cardio five times a week? What's going on? He's like, oh, I forgot to tell you. I smoke cigarettes. I'm like, okay, bro. Like that's something you got to tell me. Fucking Eastern <laughs> European over here, man. Like that's, that is always the craziest thing for me. Whenever you have someone, I, I guess it's less crazy to me whenever, you know, or now that I've been in the industry for as long as I have been, and I've seen like, you know, some of the other stuff that happens, but for an industry that is supposed to be so health focused, people that do things that are so health detrimental, like it still continues to blow my mind, especially something as like blatant as cigarettes, where it's like, you can't even hide it. If you're smoking no. as like a bodybuilder or a health enthusiast or a fitness influencer or something like that, it's like, like, that's not something you can even just like pretend doesn't go on. Like if you have a, a Coke habit, right? Like at least you can at least exactly. like, you can be subtle with that. But if you, if you're out like smoking cigs all day, like people are going to see that shit. People are going to know, like wonder what is actually happening there. And that's the thing that's like kind of going off to that rant. It's like, of like how like it's like we try to be so healthy but then we have to find some sort of vice yeah. to like combat that quote-unquote health it's like what can we do outside of that to make it like more and more and more well you want to like how like you just i'm sure you and i we probably have like the biggest caffeine addictions yeah well you know what i don't know my theory on this is that i think people who recreationally get into fitness or bodybuilding um as a choice yeah. I think that those people tend to have more extreme personalities anyway. And they, they tend to be drawn to fair point. 
they tend to be drawn towards things that give them a rush, like dopamine addictions and stuff like that. Yeah. Which is where you'll see people who are bodybuilders who are like even professional bodybuilders who are very into like body modification. So that's a big one, right? Like tattoos, piercings, um, cosmetic surgeries, obviously like, you know, PEDs, those types of things. Um, sexual taboos is another really big one in the fitness industry, like polyamory, swinging, um, really weird kinks. I hate to say weird kinks. I'm not going to kink shame anybody, but like weird by normal people standards. Yes. Yeah. Also like, you know, drug issues, man. Like I drug issues, you know, adrenaline junkies, like stuff like that. You see festivals, right? Like anything that will like get your heart pumping and like anything that you can get addicted to people who are bodybuilders or people who are voluntary fitness enthusiasts, they will get addicted to it. And, and I, I think that it's an interesting arc for people who become addicted to fitness. They get really, really deep down that rabbit hole. And then almost everyone follows a similar path, right? It's very interesting to me, but eventually you start getting tattoos, start getting some piercings. Eventually you get into like rave festival culture and then that leads into some kind of drug culture. And then that leads into some kind of sexual taboo culture. And then it all comes back around. And then eventually you realize like, oh shit, I've kind of pushed this too far. Now my fitness obsession is no longer there because now I have all these other obsessions or things that are vices for me. Um, but that to me has always been very interesting where I've seen that arc happen multiple times with people who are friends and also people who are not really in my friend group, but also like that I know of, but it's just, I, I start to wonder if it's just like an inevitable aspect of like the personality that, that like the fitness culture draws in and like what you kind of have to dedicate to being, you know, obsessed with bodybuilding or or anything in agree, and i think that's where it's like kind of going off to the opposite side of that spectrum i think this is where maybe people have that whole um taboo of like kind of going from thing to thing to thing because we have like people extremists like goggins for example who is like literally just murders himself day in and day out just straight fitness and like having like crazy routines of this like one of my best friends out here, he has like the craziest morning routine. He wakes up like four hours before his first session. And his first session's at 7 a.m. So he's waking up at three. He listens to like a whole like podcast. Like he does like this red light therapy and everything. But I'm like, dude, like that's like way too extreme for a lot of people. Like for me, I'm like, I, the polar opposite of that, where I, I say my first session's at 6 a.m., I'm waking up at 5.30. And then I'm going to, I'm just going to be there. <laughs> Yeah, you you got like uh, uh, Alex Hormozzi mindset about this. I don't know if you know who that is, but um, I do. Yeah, yeah, he's like very anti morning routine. And for me, I've I've been an anti morning routine person, and I I do a lot better with structure. Like no matter what it is, whether it's morning routine, whether it's you know being able to have my my day planned, whether it's me knowing what's coming up in like the the next month like I, I just i need structure otherwise my life will devolve into chaos and i know that about myself because i've i've been there before like the more things that i have to hold in my brain at once it just gets crazy right so right. if i outsource that some some type of routine that's good for me and i know that that's good for me but i also yeah i know that i am an obsessive person and i know that like anything that is good for me also has the potential to become negative because I, if unchecked, I will push basically everything that is good towards the extreme and make it a negative. Right. And yeah. morning routines have been that for me in the past where like I've, I've tried to pack so much into my morning to where it becomes a stressor rather than like a yeah. relief. Um, and I've, I swung back to the the middle where now like I, I need to wake up early for myself, like just for, for my own, my own sanity. I like to have 
like a few hours in my morning where like I'm just not bothered, right? Like no one's bothered me. I don't wow. like have any stress or pressure or responsibilities or things that I have to tend to in that moment. Like I don't have to be on my phone, you know, like I can just sit there right. and be quiet. And for me, that's very cathartic. Like I, I enjoy that. And um, I also, I like reading. So like, that's just something like I always do in the mornings. I just wake up, read for a couple hours and just like get on with my day. Right. Um, but now I also, I guess I do, I walk for like 30 minutes as well. So like I, I do that. And while I'm walking, I'll like, you know, jump in our discord, like answer some client questions, pop on, you know, on social media, throw some stuff up if I want to, but like, it's much more relaxed and chill than it was before. Whenever I was like, I need to do this in the morning and this and this and this and like cold shower and like, you know, meditation and I need to do journaling. And it's like, bro, that's too fucking much. It's a stressor. It, it, like it's so much stuff that like if you don't get that done, then it's just like okay, my day's ruined. And and that's and I feel like that's happened so much with people. That's so that's exactly what it becomes, right? It, it becomes an outlet, and it becomes a it like essentially your day is being held by a string, and it's like a very flimsy and fragile string. And if you wake up ten minutes late all of a sudden you're stressed because you have less time for your, you know, 10 part morning routine. And mm -hmm. most people would be better off with just simplifying their morning routine and not worrying so much about it because not everyone's going to get a ton out of meditation. Not everyone's going to get a ton out of cold showers. Not everyone's going to get a ton out of journaling or whatever the fuck else it is, right? Like for me, again, it's reading, but not everyone gives a shit about reading, right? Like some people have long commutes. Yeah. They would rather listen to an audiobook rather than sit and read a physical book, right? So um, it's all about like figuring out what the fuck works for you in terms of routine. I I do contend that having some structure, it's good to start your day off with some structure because I think it, it, it does a lot to reduce your stress and bring you down and ease you into your day, especially if you are like a very like high functioning, like high powered person mm -hmm. and where you have a lot of energy. I do think it's good to like not thrust yourself immediately into like a chaotic, you know, high stress, high energy day. Right. But, um, but obviously again, like I said, everyone's going to be different. I do know people that do very well with like waking up five minutes before they have their first call and they like stumble over to their computer and like, they just, they make it work. Yeah. Oh, I don't know how, but, um, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm kind of dominating this, but it like, <laughs> are, are you again? Are you someone who's like, have you tried a bunch of like really extensive morning routines or routines? I, honestly, I never tried a morning routine. I just, I can't. I'm like, my wife hates it so much. Like I'll set my alarm like an hour before my first session and I'll snooze that bad boy as many times as possible to the last fucking second. Yeah, dude. <laughs> so that's where like for me, like I, I say, cause I used to, we, um, couple buddies and I, we had like our own podcast thing. Um, it's not a thing anymore, but I, we talked about like morning routines and how like I'm the polar opposite of both of them where I'm just like, I have no morning routine. Like I wake up, I take a shit, brush my teeth, pack all my shit ready for the day and then get on the road to my, to my first client. So that's, that's my morning routine. Um, and I, I guess like the only morning routine that I have is like, I don't like to listen to music when I drive to my to wherever I go to work because I need to clear my head because I not be very extroverted because I'm naturally an extroverted person. So that's where sometimes I feel like for like online coaching, for example, it would be kind of tough because I need that. I need to like talk to people. So that's where uh I like to kind of clear my head on the on the way to um my first client, whether it's an at an in person house or um at the gym I'm at now currently. Yeah, no I and I guess kind of like leap leading into like the structure aspect like one thing i wanted to talk about too is not necessarily a rant but kind of like a topic of of how coaches have trouble meeting their clients where they're at in regards to like their fitness because i feel like coaches have such a high expectation of clients like don't get me wrong what i do too but at the same time like if there's a client that's never worked out before and they're seeking advice from me it's like okay where are you at right now and how can I get you to where I want you to be? But like, let's take slow steps to get to that point. So maybe that's something that I could do like to my morning routine or like how like say for you. But that's like something I wanted to talk about too with you is how coaches have such a hard time like adhering to their clients 
of like saying, Hey, like, let's see like how you can be right now. And then slowly build you up to where eventually I want to get you to. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's, that's always a huge issue and it becomes a more prevalent issue. I think whenever, um, you're in the online space where you're not having to like, look at your client in the eyes, having a conversation with them. And it allows, it allows coaches to be a little bit more aloof and distracted. And that obviously lends itself towards a bit less specific coaching and cutting corners here and there. And then obviously, you know, like whenever you are cutting coat, cutting corners, then your coaching style defaults to the, the average it defaults to, you know, just coaching towards the middle of the bell curve. And, you know, anybody who is needing something more specific, they kind of have to conform around that because you don't have enough time or enough energy or enough focus or whatever to be able to coach to their needs and like meet them, like what you said, meet them where they're at. And I think, I think that in general, that's a good mark or it's a mark of a good coach is a coach who is able to figure out exactly what the client needs and not necessarily give them everything that they want in that moment, but to figure out how to get them on board with the program, with the, the protocols, whatever, and essentially like get that buy-in, right? Like explain to them, Hey, this is, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm thinking. This is why you're doing the things that you're doing. This is what I have planned, you know, in the coming months or whatever. And then lay it all out there, let the client figure it out, let them like understand what's going on. Because if you can get that buy-in, then it does take a lot of pressure off of you as a coach to have to go all the way over to the other side. And it instead allows the client to come more towards your end and say, okay, cool, we can actually meet 50-50. Because there are a lot of clients, I'm sure that you've experienced this before as well, where they expect the coach to come 100%. They're like, yeah, hey, I want this. I respond well to this. I like this exercise. I don't like this exercise. I want this training split. I like hit cardio, not lists. I like stairmaster, not treadmill. Like they're giving you this list of almost demands. And some coaches, they are scared to put their foot down. And they're also scared to explain their position and their side of things and act as an authority. And then that just empowers the client to kind of continue that, that behavior. But I do think it's really important that it's not all about going to the client's side. It's more important to say like, hey, this is my perspective. This is the way that I'm interpreting your situation. I think that you would benefit the most from X, Y, Z. If you have an issue with Z, let's talk about Z. Let's not reform X and Y as well, just because you're seeing a problem over here. Let's focus on the problem. Let's correct the problem. Let me explain to you where I'm coming from with my solution to that problem. And if we need to switch that up, we need to do something else. We can find something different that works. But again, I, maybe I'm just speaking from the coach's perspective a little bit more strongly here, because I, I do think that it has that two way street It has to be 50, 50. And it really does do the client a disservice. If the coach goes all the way to there and you know, Oh yeah. And I think that's where like, for example, like I train a client that's very firm on what she likes and what she doesn't like. And then, so I've had some of like the newer trainers here shadow me during her session. And then they're like, dang, she seems kind of firm. I'm like, yeah, she is. But at the same time though, like I set my foot down too. And like, I was like, she's an Aquarius. I'm not, I'm not huge in astrology, but she's an Aquarius. I'm an Aquarius. Like we're both fucking stubborn. So it's like, she says one thing. She's like, mm, don't like, it. I'm like, mm, don't give a fuck. <laughs> like this is going to benefit you to some regard. Um, so I think, yeah. That's like, another, I mean, that's another good point too. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, but like building clients, you know what I mean? Like you, you can talk to certain clients like that, but other clients you can't. Yeah. Right. And no. And one thing with my business and the way that, that I've operated over the past few years is like some clients will work with me for a while. And then they'll go to one of my assistant coaches. And that's a totally natural evolution of working with me, getting the fundamentals, understanding what they need, and then maybe not wanting to pay as much to continue to work with me because they'd be able to get the same, if not better service from one of my other coaches for cheaper. Right. And it's funny though, because whenever I'm very used to someone's personality style, like one of my clients, and then I give them to one of my other coaches, I had to have that conversation be like, Hey, you know, she's not mean. 
she just doesn't understand your perception of how she's, you know, like coming across in this email or this, this check-in or whatever it is. Right. So it's on you, the coach to bring it up and say, Hey, I need clarity on, you know, what you're thinking here. Are you frustrated? Are you questioning me? Are you just making a statement? Because it's, it's so hard to read tone over email. And again, this is an online space, you know, issue, but that's one of the biggest things that I've had to have conversations with, with my coaches is like, Hey guys, like figure out the personality styles of your clients, figure out how they best respond. Sometimes you just need to be like, Hey, chill the fuck out, chill out. It's fine. You're good. You're, you're not, nothing's going to break. You're, you're not going to regress. No. Like, you know, three months in a single week. It's okay. Breathe, right? Sometimes people just need to be called out on their bullshit. Other people, you have to tiptoe a little bit more. And we all have those clients as well. But it takes time to build that relationship and build that rapport. But it's always so It fun. really does. It's not worth it, though, in the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's where it's like, for me, like, I mean, you and I both have been doing this for a very long time where we can already gauge how people are going to be. Yeah. So it's like, so it's... Yeah, so it's like for me, I'm like, okay, they're very timid. Okay, so I have to be a little more upbeat versus this person's a little more extroverted. Okay, let me just sit the fuck back. They got a lot of stress. Let them just talk the shit out and then they're good for the rest of the day. They just want to do their four or five exercises and fucking leave. So that, that's so like I have those clients and those are that are like very like, okay, I, I need you to basically just take me every step of the way. And I'm like, okay, let's do that for the next two, three months. But I expect you to learn this shit as we go, not just okay, like tell me what to do and then I'll just leave. No, that doesn't work that way here. If you want to do that, we'll head, go with somebody else. Oh, and like, again, this is me, maybe just me and relating it too much to like the online space, but um, whenever I work with someone, whenever I get started with someone, it's often really, really hard outside of like the extreme cases to figure out what their personality is going to be like in That's true. three months, six months, you know? Yeah. Because basically whenever i get started i i have an initial call i have a couple of initial email correspondence you know just like getting some additional information but really people put their best face on all the time for a 15 to 20 minute call and 100 and even me like i noticed that with myself too like i'm so fucking upbeat i'm so energetic i'm so happy like smiling like you know very very yeah. not that i'm not like that but more so than I normally would be. And again, I think it's it's just kind of the, the nature of a first introduction. You know, you're trying to sell yourself. The client is kind of trying to sell themselves on you as well. And you're you're trying to, to make your best first impression. And because of that, I've noticed that there have been certain clients where I'm like, this person is going to be a fucking pain. Like just my immediate first thought is, wow, this is going to be hard. And they end up being phenomenal clients like so easy so chill so funny but they just have to like open up and break out of their shell and they're a little bit more yeah. introverted on the call and like maybe i misinterpreted that as like bitchy or disinterested or whatever right um and then on the other end like sometimes the people that seem like the most cool on calls end up being just like gigantic pain in the ass. The hardest ones yeah, yeah. and because they're they're extrovert, they'll just they'll just say whatever they fuck they feel, <laughs> and that that does that does tend to be a problem, especially again, domain specific, but online. If a lot of the core yeah. is coming from things like you know emails or quick messages or check ins that are they're meant mm -hmm. to consolidate thoughts quickly, a lot of the time things just come off wrong, or they can be they can be spouted out in like a, a moment of like emotional impulse. For example, like we, we do a lot of like daily feedback in our programming. So it's like, Hey, you know, like, how'd you feel at the end of this day? How did this exercise feel? Like, give us, give us biofeedback, give us notes. And, you know, I've had some of my like very extroverted clients before leave like tons and tons and tons of notes. And it's like almost always trends towards negative because that's the easiest thing to perceive in the moment, right? It's like, oh, this is hurting. This doesn't right. feel the way that it should. Like, this is difficult to set up. I'm frustrated with this. Like, I feel weak today, right? Like, a lot of the feedback, it, it for whatever reason, tends towards negative. And that itself can be like a product of like the extroversion then 
leading into that person seeming like a more negative person or more, more pessimistic pessimist right. person. Yeah. Um, so I do have to sometimes like go back and like kind of rein myself in and suppress some of my emotional responses to seeing some feedback like that or seeing emails or just like client correspondence in general, because I know that the mode of communication is like not ideal to be able to communicate the way that we right. communicated with as coaches. So I do always, like, I'm just always consistently reminding myself, like, all right, don't take it personally. Like if this is negative, it doesn't mean that they're like a pessimistic person. If this comes off as bitchy, it doesn't mean that they're actually bitching at you. Like it's like yeah. mind fucky type of game where like I'm consistently having to go back and forth and like just keep myself centered. So I don't form like, overly negative or even overly positive views of any of my clients that I've been working with for a while. Yeah. And I think too, like, it's like, like whenever clients like give me like notes like that on their programs, I take it as like a way of like, not like a little bit of criticism. So where it's like, I'm very open to criticism. So it's like, I want to be the best coach as possible. Like I don't want to be the best because there's no way of actually being quote unquote the best, but it's like, I want to be the best for my client. So it's like, if they gave me some sort of like feedback, that seems kind of like, kind of douchey or kind of like out there. I'm like, okay, I'll take it as it is and I'll swallow my pride a bit and then just kind of just go from there. It's like, how can I help you? I'll be, how can I, how can I help you be um, better in like say in a certain position of a movement or like, Hey, like if this, your gym doesn't have this, like how can I, like what equipment do you have at that specific location or whatever? Yeah. Cause I, I do train like a couple of online clients like back home and they go to like, totally different fucking gyms like one goes into like a strictly like a private location where they just have barbells and dumbbells there's like no cables so it's like have to be creative all right i mean that's that's another aspect of like programming for the client and making sure that you're not just creating general protocols and general recommendations and you're actually giving them like what they need for for their specific circumstances and context and yeah i mean maybe we can even like wrap this up by just kind of taking this back to like there are general principles that like are going to define whatever demographic of client you work with, whether it's male, female, whether it's volleyball player, you know, softball player, baseball player, football player, whatever, whether it's gen pop lifestyle, working with a, a you know, soccer mom or uh, a CEO, whatever, like you can yeah. generally bucket like your type of client into some kind of, of category, some kind of demographic that allows you to like create broad principles or broad generalizations off of what they should probably need inside of their their protocols or in their programming but from there it's really important to be able to take their own context and then apply it so if you have a client who exactly. who's again like a, a volleyball player for example let's say volleyball player i don't know why i'm getting stuck on that and in a perfect world they would have you know like these very sports specific machines they'd have cables they would have med balls they'd have boxes for box they'd have all of this yeah. but if they're going to a very limited gym and they only have dumbbells and barbells well then you have to get creative with how you apply your principles and like the programming principles that you understand to be able to actually fit that around what they need in their actual sport specific needs so it is mm -hmm. it, it's an art in a weird way but a lot of it really just comes back to like hey like program for what your client is needing, like program for, yeah. the, for their situation. And if you mostly do that, then like, you're going to be better than 95, 99% of other coaches out there anyway. And I think that's sort of like going off that, like kind of what I said earlier is if a coach just understands how humans move yeah, and what the demands are throughout the day outside of just the gym itself, like, Hey, do they have a desk job? Do they have a standing job, like a server? Like all that needs to be taken in consideration or like, say if you're an in-person, like for example, just us two alone, our demands throughout the day are very different. You're typing a lot versus I'm more so just yelling at people. <laughs> Here, so that's where it's like, just looking at those two differences alone, it's just like understanding that, like you can really, it's like programming is just easier at that point. Well, cause it's like, I mean, again, the, the demands of the jobs are very different. Like what you said. But yeah. I think that there are benefits to each, and this is talking oh, about yeah. the coach's side. There are benefits to each. There are also drawbacks to each. But like I 
I'm very glad that I am doing online. I think that like, you know, before whenever we started recording, like you were talking about how you're very glad that you do in person. It's like, it's, it's interesting to me to be able to see the kind of like that, that dichotomy of like, I've done in person, you've also done online. And like, we have gone in kind of different ways, but I, I think that's probably also kind of a function of the personality style of the coach. Like for me, I'm much more yes. introverted where if I am forced to have conversations with clients for 12 hours of the day, like I will die. Like I will just be so run down. And then for more of an extroverted person, they feed off of that. And if they were put in my position, like they would be going fucking crazy sitting at home by themselves all day, just like answering emails and like working on a spreadsheet. So it, it's, yeah. it's important to figure out like what you work best in and like what situation you work best in. Awesome. Uh, but no, man, I, I, that was just like a weird parallel that I think I just noticed. Yeah. I think, yeah. Cause even like, uh, one of my favorite coaches, his name's Kyle Dobbs. He's kind of in the same exact realm as you where he's an introverted, like he used to do, um, in-person training and also was a fitness manager. And so like he was dealing with people. He's like, I can't do this anymore. Like I need my own space. And now he like runs his own, he runs his own gig with his uh, business partner. And he's like, I'm loving it. Yeah, dude. So that's where it's like, yeah, eventually like I would love to get down into the online space just cause like how we were talking about earlier before we started recording is like the burnout is, uh, doing this for 12, 13 hours a day is a lot. And, um, I like to spend time with my wife, especially cause I'm newly married. So I, uh, want to prioritize, prioritize that over everything. And so like eventually you want to move somewhere else and being in the online space, you can really move anywhere you want. And so that's eventually like down the road. I want to be, especially because we're planning on moving to Europe in like six years. Dude, that I have six years of, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So I have six years of time to develop that online, online business platform. (laughs) Yeah, man. I obviously wish you luck in that. And I think that's actually a good place for us to wrap this up. So like, I'll put it back to you. Um, let people know where they can find you, like social media. They want to work with you if they're interested about, um, you know, any of the services that you offer currently. Obviously, you know, like you are in person, but yeah. if anybody's interested in finding you, like where they reach you. Yeah, so um, I'm located out of Boise, Idaho. Um, my Instagram is ChrisJChan underscore. I do still offer online programming as well on top of in person. Um, basically there's just a link in my bio, just like to hit the trainer application and we'll chat from there. Oh man. Yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this with me. Um, really enlightening. I'm, I feel like we should have hit play or hit record before we did, because we were talking about like a bunch of shit that was like really interesting really yeah. before we even hit record. But, um, or maybe that would lead into uh, another conversation for another day. Oh, definitely. Thank you for having me. Of course, brother. All right. Have a good night, man. All right, you too.